Let's preach. Luke chapter 2, verse 6. If you have it, somebody say, yeah. Here we go. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was, somebody say, no room. There was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to, some may say, all people message of Christmas, the message of Jesus is for all people. It's not for perfect people. It's not for people who have their act together. It's not for church people. It's for all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger. Father God, we're grateful, we're thankful that we have breath in our bodies, that we're in our right minds, that we have an opportunity to gather in rooms and houses and all over this world for the one purpose of bringing you our praise, our adoration, and lifting up the name of Jesus. But God, you said that you show up when worship takes place, that you inhabit the praises of your people. So God, I pray in these few moments that you would show us a sign, God, that you're with us, that you're for us. And God, I thank you for one of the greatest gifts ever, and that is the Baltimore Ravens making the playoffs. We give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen and amen. Won't he do it? Won't he? Won't he do it? Commander fans, I don't know what to tell you. Um, it's not over. You still got two more weeks. Maybe, maybe God has something for you. Probably not, but maybe, maybe. So many dignitaries around the world, presidents, kings, prime ministers, CEO of Fortune 500 companies, have May 6th, 2023, marked on their calendar. I don't know if you have May 6, 2023 marked on your calendar. Maybe not, but I'll tell you the who's who of the world has that date circled on their calendar. On May 6, 2023, presidents are going to get on planes. Dignitaries are going to make travel plans. People are going to come from far and wide. Because on that day, they will be gathering to witness something that many of us have never witnessed in our lifetime, and that is the coronation of a king. On May 6, 2023, they are going to take King Charles and they're going to sit him on a throne. They're going to put a robe around him. They're going to take a crown that at this point, they can't even ascribe a price to the value of that crown. They're going to place it on his head. They're going to take a scepter and put it in his hand. And then people are going to shout, God save the king. They've been planning this coronation for years up to this moment. Millions of dollars are going into this ceremony and the festivities. People are hiding the plans and all that is going to take place, literally facing jail time if they were to disclose what's going to take place on this day because a king is getting ready to be coronated. Now, they say it will not be anything like when his mother was coronated over 70 years ago when Queen Elizabeth was coronated. They shut down Westminster Abbey for five months because it had the seating capacity for 2,200 people. And the guest list was 8,000 people long. So for five months, they tried to figure out how do we fit 8,000 people into a room that was only designed for 2,200 people. And where there is a will, there is a way. They ripped that place to shreds, 
built it back, put 8,000 seats in there for people to view this coronation. And none of it was deemed absurd because that's what you do when a king is crowned. When there's a new king, you, you, you cancel your plans. If you were one of the few people who got an invitation, there was no, I can't make it, I'm organizing my sock drawer. There's no, I would love to come, but I have a hair appointment, I can't make it. No, you're going to be there. Now, here in America, it might be a little bit difficult for us to understand the coronation of a king. We, we are a democracy, not a monarchy. We don't, we, don't, we don't crown kings. We elect presidents. But not to be outdone by England, we don't show up to inaugurations with 8,000 people. Matter of fact, the average crowd at an inauguration here in America is over 150,000 people that line the streets of Pennsylvania Avenue from the Capitol to the White House. Why? Because everybody wants to get an opportunity to see what I believe to be probably the most powerful human being living here in the world, which is whoever the president of the United States of America is at the time. Everybody wants to witness it because it is its kind of a big deal. Nobody says, oh, that's too much. Oh, that's absurd. Oh, that shouldn't happen. This is what happens when heads of state are installed. If all of that for an earthly king, I love when I get to the message, I'm like, oh, now he preaching, now he preaching. Oh, I, I see where he's going. I was a little confused here. I thought this was going to be like the crown episode three, but now I see where he's going. Y'all so churchy. <laughs> if all of that for an earthly king, how much more for the king of kings and the Lord of lords? If, if they would plan for months for a natural king, I'm thinking we should be planning for years for the king of kings. If they're spending millions for a natural inauguration, it probably should be billions or trillions for when the king returns. If hundreds of thousands of people show up just to celebrate a president that's only going to be there for four years, maybe eight, there should probably be millions, if not billions of people waiting for when the king of kings and the lord of lords makes an appearance. So you could only imagine the excitement that was ricocheting through the halls of heaven when word spread that King Jesus was going to the earth. You, you, you could only imagine how the angels were, were chattering and said, we thought this moment would never come, but, but now is the moment the world gets to meet her king. I can only imagine the event planner, the angelic event planner that had the distinguished honor of planning the entrance of King Jesus into the year. Could, could you imagine that event planning meeting? I mean, we're going to introduce Jesus to the world. This is going to be spectacular. What should we got to do something that's never been done? But I know we need rose petals. I, I could just picture King Jesus riding on this beautiful horse and the streets lined with rose petals. But, you know, those people down on earth, they have rose petals. I know. Let's make them 18 karat gold rose petals, but they've never seen that before. And we need statues. I mean, what, what kind of coronation can happen with that? We need sculptures, but... Ah, they got their little ice sculptures at their dumb little parties. I know. Let's do crystal sculptures. They, they, they were making all their plans. And I could just imagine that angelic event planner when, when she went in with her meeting with God Almighty to, to unveil what the coronation of Jesus would look like. She was saying, your majesty, I, I, I've made some plans for when your son goes to earth. And, and here's what I was thinking. I, you know, people on earth, they've seen roses before, but they've never seen 18 karat gold roses. We were thinking of lining the streets with 18 karat gold rose petals. No. You sure? Okay, okay, I'll go on to the next thing. You know, you like that idea. How about this? We were thinking of having crystals. No. A white horse, a gold chariot, a choir? Sheesh, she's uptight. <laughs> Could you imagine what it was like when she went back to the planning committee and said, it didn't quite go how I thought it would go, guys. 
He, he didn't like the rose, rose petal. No, he said no. He said no to the petals, no to the horse, no to the chariot, no to the sculptures. Did he say yes to anything? He said yes to the choir. Only problem is we're only allowed to sing for some dirty shepherds out in the wilderness where nobody will be able to hear us. What kind of entrance of a king is this? No fanfare, no horses, no trumpets, no regalia. Just a dirty little stable. Some swaddling cloths and a feeding trough to lay that baby in. When we think stable, you think that dumb, biblically incorrect barn that you see in front of the courthouse or whatever it may be. You know where they have the three magi that were not there the night Jesus was born and and the shepherds and all the perfectly tame animals just perfectly gazing at this four-year-old child who's supposed to be newborn. That's actually not what the stable that Jesus was born in looked like. More than likely, it was more like a cave etched out of stone. It would have been literally a hole in the wall, probably with some hay on the ground and animal excrements around and and some dirty cloths that they wipe animals down to wrap a newborn fragile baby in. And here is Mary, not this angelic, beautiful woman that you see in all of the pictures, but this young girl who had literally just given birth. She wasn't looking like She was looking like, Joseph, put the camera away. I dare you to post something. You'll never have another kid. (laughs) Joseph is standing there confused. I mean, they said it was the Holy Spirit, but can I even trust that dude angel? I mean, I saw him looking at Mary. I don't even know what to think right now. (laughs) And thus, when the greatest king ever to walk the face of this planet entered the world, it wasn't what we would expect. It wasn't this fanfare. It wasn't this regalia. It wasn't this ceremony. It was this, I didn't even plan this, but this is like an alley-oop, silent night. That was good. That was good. That was good. (laughs) And here's the whole thought, that when Jesus makes an entrance, it's probably not going to be the entrance you expect. When Jesus steps into a situation It's probably not going to be to the volume level that you would expect. And because he didn't come with the noise of a king and the fanfare of a king and the regalia of a king, the night the king came, nobody in the city knew except some dirty shepherds, some foreigners who were countries away and a little girl and a young man. And my whole thought is, If King Jesus were to make an entrance into your life, A, would there be room? And B, would you even recognize it? Let's let's make this practical. If Jesus wanted to step into your marriage, is there room? If Jesus wanted to make space for a miracle in your five-year plan, Have you planned out every moment and every detail? Or is there enough margin for Jesus to interrupt and to do what only he can do? In your raising of your children, is there, I'm doing my best and I'm giving them wisdom and I'm giving them affection and I'm giving them direction and I'm giving them discipline, but I'm also leaving some room For Jesus to do something in my children's life that I can't do in my own strength. The the whole question that I have for you, is there room in your life for the unexpected? Because if not, we're going to get caught like Bethlehem. And that is unprepared and unaware that the greatest miracle ever known to mankind is trying to make its residence in our lives. 
I want to give you just three quick thoughts, three quick thoughts of how do I prepare? How, how do I make room for Christ to do something supernatural in my life? Now, before I give you these three points, I need to warn you about two things. One, this message is four hours long. I tried to cut it down and I did. It was originally six hours, but I worked it out. So four and we'll be done. We're only 15 minutes in, which means we're almost done. 17 people just stood up and ran for the back door. I don't know who this Chris Rock-looking preacher is, man. I ain't got time for it. The second thing is, it gets better at the end. Somebody says, tell somebody it gets better at the end. Come on, tell somebody. Tell somebody it gets better at the end. Well, I got to tell you that because it's not good right now. Point number one, here we go. God will disappoint you. I told you it gets better at the end. But point number one, God will it's just guaranteed. Flowers are like, this is a miserable Christmas. It gets better at the end. But right now, we got to unpack this. God is guaranteed to disappoint you. One of the things that I realized is a lot of people live with what I call a low-lying level of disappointment. It's like a low-lying headache. You ever had a headache that it wasn't so bad that you had to like go in a room and shut all the lights off? You could still function, but it was just there. You ever had a headache like that? You go to work, you take care of your kids, you do stuff, but it just saps the joy out of every moment in that day. I've discovered that so many people live subconsciously with a low level of disappointment in their lives. For some of you, your disappointment is with another person. You may not say it out loud, but in your heart you're saying, man, I thought by now they would have gotten their act together. I thought by now we wouldn't be having the same conversations that we're having right now. I thought for sure I wouldn't have to carry them in this season, that they would be able to prop themselves up. And you may still be smiling at them. You may still be nice to them. But inside, you're just disappointed because you're like, man, I thought you would have gotten it together by now. Don't say amen, especially if they're sitting next to you. Just, I don't know what he's talking about. That ain't got nothing to do with my life. He's way off. It's one thing when your life is jacked up and it's your fault. You can't blame anybody. You look in the mirror like, yep, I did that. I messed all that up. That's all. But it's a completely different thing when the drama and the stress you're facing has nothing to do with you, but has everything to do with someone that your life is attached to, and you feel like you're carrying your weight and their weight as well, and and you're disappointed. Some people are disappointed with others. Some people are disappointed with themselves. You ever been disappointed with yourself? You ever said, this is the year that I am going to pay off debt, save more than I spent, go to the gym more than once. And now we are in the last eight days of the year and you're looking over the year and what you said in January wasn't the story of this year. I said, I'm never going to drink like that again. I said, I'm never going to yell like that again. I said, I said, I said, and now I'm looking and I'm not who I said I am. And I'm disappointed. I let myself down. Some people are disappointed with others. Some people are disappointed with themselves. Some people are disappointed with God. You ever felt like, God, I thought you would have healed me by now? God, I thought you'd have fixed this this situation by now. God, I I thought breakthrough would have come by now. And one of the things that I've discovered is all of us have a certain level of like religion in us that we don't say certain things even though we're feeling certain things. So if I were to say to you, are you disappointed in God? You say, absolutely not. God, God is good all the time and all the time God is good with your churchy self just lying through your teeth. But if we were to look at your life and to see, man, you don't pray with the consistency that you do sense that disappointment. No, I'm not disappointed with God, but if you would look at your track record, you would find I'm not in church as frequently as I used 
to be. And I wouldn't say that I'm disappointed with God, but if you look at my life patterns and my dedication with God, it's screaming, I feel like God let me down. Here's the truth. God will always disappoint you. Now, I love preaching like this because I'm kind of rubbing the religious folks just the wrong way. I can just feel it. They're just like, I don't know what he's preaching, but this ain't Bible. God cannot disappoint. He is not like man. He cannot lie. If he said it, he's going to do it. He is a promise keeper and a way maker. My God does not fail or disappoint. That's my religious voice. That preaches good. But to understand that God always disappoints, you first have to understand what a disappointment is. And to understand what a disappointment is, you must first understand what an appointment is. What's an appointment? An appointment is when you have selected a specific time and place for a certain thing to take place. You you ever made a dentist appointment? You make it as far in advance as possible. I don't want to come. We need you in the next six to 24 months. Make it 24 months. I should have about two teeth by then. What do you do? You pick a day. You pick a time. And you pick an action. Do you want to do a cleaning? Do you want us to extract all your teeth and put in new one veneers and trick everybody, even though we all know? Or what do you... You can tell I can't wait to get to Christmas. (laughs) An appointment is when you pick a specific time and place for a certain thing to take place. A disappointment is when the time comes, the place comes, and what you intended on happening in that time and in that place does not happen. A disappointment is a missed appointment. And one of the things that I've discovered is God will always disappoint me because he doesn't make my appointments. This is not you. Your faith is strong. Your faith is amazing. This is where I'm just working my faith out flowers. One of the things I discovered the hard way is when I think I'm praying, I'm not just praying, I'm giving God instructions. You've never done this. This is just me. This has nothing to do with you. But but when I pray about a problem, when I say, God, I need a miracle, I need you to fix this, oftentimes, even though I don't say it out loud, I'm thinking, here's how he should fix this. God, I need you to fix this, and if you could do it by this date, that'd be really jolly. I'd really appreciate that. And if you could do this and do this and do that, I mean, if I were God, here's how I would do the miracle. Am I the only one? And I'll even pray the little dumb prayers like we all pray. God, let your will be done. Not my will. And then we go all King James on him. But thy will be done in my life. Whole time we know we don't mean it. Come on, am I the only one who ever prayed to God for a job? And I wasn't praying for a job. I was praying for that job. For that salary and that benefit package and that start date. And when I did not get that job or that salary or that start date, I was disappointed. And I felt like God let me down because he did not fulfill the parameters that I gave him. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Somebody shout amen. The abridged version of this is I has not seen nor ear heard, nor mind can conceive what God has in store. You can preach that. You run into one of them parking lot prophets who always got a word for you after church. They could tell you, let me tell you something. God told me to, then they quote some Bible verse that you could have read by yourself. God told me to tell you that you ain't seen nothing yet. But baby, you ain't, I'm telling you what God, (laughs) pray for me. I need help. Close your mouth. I'm sorry. I don't got no act right. Forgive me. Forgive me. I'm just tired of the prophecies in the parking lot. Anyway. It preaches well. God, no one's seen. No one can think. No one can hear what God. But here's the problem. 
if no one can see and no one can hear and nobody can imagine what God is getting ready to do in my life, it means the way that I'm thinking of this problem being fixed, it ain't going to happen that way. Because he said, mine cannot conceive. And this thing that I see over here that looks like my solution, that ain't your solution. Because the Bible says that I has not. Oh, I hear my breakthrough coming. You know, we can preach about some stuff and shout about some stuff in church. It ain't church. I hear my breakthrough coming. That ain't your breakthrough. That's somebody else's breakthrough. That ain't yours. Why? Because it says no ear has heard. And I've discovered that if I am going to give God parameters of how to do miracles in my life, how to insert himself into my life, I will always be disappointed because God said, my ways are above your ways. My thoughts are above your thoughts. You won't see how I'm going to do it. You just got to trust that I'm going to do it. So I've learned that I have to have more faith in the who than the how. God, I don't know how you're going to heal me, but I know you're going to heal me because you are Jehovah Rapha. You are the God who heals. If you heal through medicine, praise the Lord. If you heal through miracle, praise the Lord. If you heal through time and me living a healthy life, praise the Lord. I just know that you're going to heal because that's what you do. You are Jireh, my provider. It may come with a check in the mail. That's why I check every day. It may come with a bonus at work. It may come with a new job. You know, nobody ever prayed, dear God, give me a third job. God, I'm not going to tell you how to do it. But God, I'm just going to trust that you are going to do it. Romans chapter 5, verse 5. I'm not going to lie. I went through 20 different translations to find this one because I was looking for this one word, and that word is this. It says this, and this hope will not lead to disappointment. All the other translations says, and hope will not lead to disappointment. And, and I didn't agree with that because I've hoped and been disappointed. And in those moments when I hoped and was disappointed, I learned that not all hope is the same. Hoping that God is going to do it your way, that will disappoint. Hoping that God will show up and make it very predictable and very easy and very premeditated, that will disappoint. What is this hope talking about? This hope is the hope of God. I don't know when it's going to happen. God, I don't know how it's going to happen. God, I don't know where it's going to happen. But I know that you are going to make it happen because you are God, Emmanuel, God with me, the God that has never abandoned me. And this hope will not lead to disappointment. For we know how dearly God loves us. He loves you because he's given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. The second thought is this. Somebody say, it's going to get better at the end. But first, it's going to get worse. (laughs) He will always disappoint and he works outside of time. You ever heard the old saints, oh, he may not come when you want him. Woo! But he's always on time. You got to give the little Holy Ghost. Woo! That sounds good, but it ain't true. He's not on time. He's late. He's definitely late. On time was two weeks ago. That's when on time was. On time was three. This is officially late. One of the reasons why I realized the guy's always late because he doesn't really look at the watch. He doesn't have a watch. He does not work within the confines of our times and calendars. One of the things that I've discovered is there's something that's worse than being disappointed. Disappointment is bad, but there's a level that gets worse than disappointment, and that's the level of no expectations. It's one thing to say, man, I feel let down. It's another thing to say, I cannot be let down anymore because I'm not even expecting anything. There's this passage in the book of Acts where there this was, was a crippled man outside of the temple. It was a, a gate called Beautiful, and he was sitting there begging. He, he was saying something like, alms, alms for the poor. And it says that Peter and John were on their way to the temple to worship God. They walked past this crippled man, and Peter stopped. And Peter didn't have money to give him, but Peter had the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit in his life. Peter was getting ready to heal his crippled legs. This beggar, this crippled man was seconds away from Jesus inserting himself in his life like never before. The greatest miracle he had ever experienced in his life. And before he received that miracle, Peter said the strangest thing I've ever heard of somebody 
begging for money. Peter said, look up. And in order for Peter to be looking up, the beggar would have had to have been looking down. Why was he looking down? Because he didn't really expect anybody to give him anything. He was sitting there outside of that gate and it probably had so many people walk by him. He had been disappointed so many times. He said, I dare not get my hopes up. Because if I get my hopes up, somebody's just going to let me down again. If I'd be honest, on this Christmas Eve, there's a lot of people that you have no expectations. Pastor, ain't, ain't nobody, people can't disappoint me. I, people don't disappoint me because I don't expect nothing from people. people they're just people. People be people in it. You can't trust people. So I just, I just do me. You'd be honest, there's some of you that you're not disappointed in yourself because you don't expect anything out of yourself. It's whatever will be, will be. So I don't know some of us that would say, no, I'm not disappointed in God because I don't expect God to do anything for me. I'm not even really thinking about God. You know what's weird? We could be in a place of not expecting anything and not even realizing it. I'm not going to do it because it would be awkward and everybody would run out the room. But imagine if I like jumped out of this place in Columbia, I came on the platform, and I put a microphone in everybody's face. And I said, what are you expecting in 2023? Well, well, give me one thing that you're expecting over the next 12 months. People would have so many great answers. I'm, I'm expecting a day of peace. I'm, I'm expecting a new car, a new job. I'm, some of y'all super spirit. I'm expecting to be closer to Jesus than I've ever been in my life. Well, God bless you. Here's my question. Whatever you said you're expecting, would it be something that you could not do in your own strength? Would it be something that was only possible through the miraculous hand of God? Or would it be as I work harder, as I discipline myself, as I network, as I do this, as I do this? Are all our expectations based on our ability? Have we lost an expectation of God making his residence in our lives? Hebrews chapter 10 verse 35 says this, Therefore do not cast away your confidence, which has great reward, for you have need of endurance, so that after you have done the will of God, you may receive the promise. Union Church, I have one question. Have you thrown away your confidence? Have you gotten rid of your expectation of God inserting a miracle in your life? Do you know why there was no room in the inn? Because no one was expecting him to show up that night. They had gotten some prophecy that the Messiah would come. Watch this. It's, you ever had something delivered to your house, some repairman come or whatever it may be, and they have a delivery window? We, we, we were having some tables for Christmas delivered, and we got our delivery window. And they said, we're going to come sometime between 9 and 5. <laughs> I thought the whole idea of a delivery window is that it was like a... Not like we're coming Tuesday. We're coming between 11 and 1. That's a window. 9 and 5 is don't leave your house. If you do, it's your problem. <laughs> they, they knew that the Messiah was coming. Do you know when they believed that he was coming? Sometime between creation and 6,000 years later. Their Messiah window was 6,000 years wide. So you can only imagine for the first six years, they were like, hey, pack your bags. The Messiah. Year 600, they're like, get ready, get ready. He could come any day. Year 4,000, when he finally came, nobody was looking for him. My question is, are you looking for a miracle from God in your life? Or has it been so long that you're just like, I'm pretty sure if he was going to come, he would have come by now. All right, here's where it gets better. You ready? He's guaranteed to disappoint, miss your appointment. He's not going to work within your time, but he is guaranteed to come. Don't let the fact that he doesn't do it the way that you thought he was going to do it. And don't let the fact that he doesn't do it when you think he's going to do it. 
make you believe for a second that he is not going to do it. God is going to show up in your life in a miraculous way. And here's the question. When he comes past your address, will there be room in your life to receive what he has for you? It's funny, the fact that God's going to show up, he's so confident about him showing up that he doesn't even feel the need to make an announcement because he says, when I show up, every single person is going to know. I think about the children of Israel. They're in slavery in Egypt. They're crying out to God, saying, God, send us a deliverer. And God goes to Moses and he said, Israel is crying out for deliverance. You are my solution to their problem. Go and be their deliverer. By the way, Israel is crying out for a deliverer and God never responds to their cry because he's too busy working on the solution. Can I just give you a little clue? Don't be afraid when there's silence from God. Don't feel like he's abandoned you. Don't feel like he's forgotten about you. He hasn't forgotten about you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's actually talking to your solution, making sure that your solution shows up on the right time. And Moses said, I'm the solution, but I don't know if if they're going to believe me. Who should I say sent me? God says, what? He said, who should I tell him sent me? God was like, tell him I am. I was like, you got a last name? I am... That I am. Sounds like Dr. Seuss, green eggs and ham. I am that I am. I am, said Sam. <laughs> now, now, when we preach that, you, you can preach it good. You, he said, I am that I am. And he didn't want to give anything after the am because I am whatever you need. Whenever you're in a moment of need, just know I am the solution to that need. Somebody say, I am. That's a good message right there. You could preach that. Or there's the other side of the coin. Where he said, I am. Can I get an explanation? They don't need an explanation. Because when I show up, there will be no confusion of who showed up. It will be so evidence that God Almighty has stepped into that situation. They won't need an explanation. They won't need to know. They will know that it's me. No wonder when he showed up, the only people he revealed himself to was some shepherds. If I had time to unpack to you where shepherds fit in society, there was like the lowliest of the low, and then there were shepherds. Let me give you this example. If you committed a crime, you criminal, watch this. If you committed a crime and the only person who witnessed that crime was a shepherd, you got away scotch-free. Why? Because a shepherd's report or testimony was inadmissible in court. That's how low their status was in society. God says, I'm going to reveal myself to the shepherds. Why? First of all, to let us know that God doesn't need us to fix ourselves up before we're worthy of him. Second of all, because God is saying, I don't need people with wealth or reputation or status to announce my coming. It doesn't matter who announced my coming because when I come, it's going to be so evident that it's me. Their degree won't be able to take credit. Their sorority won't be able to take credit. Their family line won't be able to take credit. It will be so evident that it's me. If Jesus from Baltimore, he would say it this way. Things that are understood don't need to be explained. They, they going to know that it's me. Simple question. God's going to show up. The question is, when he does, is there going to be room in your life? Do you wake up every day on the balls of your feet saying, this could be the day that God does something in my life that I've been praying for and I'm ready? Or do you wake up oblivious to the fact that his eyes are on you, not to judge you or to condemn you, but to insert his miraculous power in your life? Psalm chapter 24, verse 7 says this. It says, lift up your heads, O ye gates. Back in the time where this verse was written, each gate was named after a family. When it says, lift up your head, O ye gates, what it's saying is, hey, family. But matter of fact, y'all going to help me preach as we end this message. Can, can you do me a favor? On the count of three, can you shout your family's last name back at me? Columbia Flowers, UBC, you're ready on the count of three. One, two, three. Give me your last name. I have no idea what you just said. All right, come on. Tell me one more time. Give me your last name. Yeah. Whatever your last name is, because I still didn't hear you. This verse is talking about you. You ready to shout at me right one more time? All right, wait for it. 
Lift up your heads, O ye. That's what this verse is saying. It's saying Chandler family, Taylor family, Simmons family. Lift up, like they said to that beggar at the gate, look up. I know you've gone through all 2022 without any expectation, but look up. The king is coming and he's not just coming to a church and he's not just coming to a city, but he is coming to your home. It says, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the king of glory shall come in. Just in case you don't know, who is the king of glory? He is the Lord strong and mighty. He is the Lord. Lord, mighty in your battle, lift up your head, O ye gates, and be lifted up, ye everlasting doors, that the King of glory may come. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. You know what a host is? It's saying that he is the King of angel armies. He is the King of glory. Jesus is coming to your address. And the question is, have you made room for him to do what only he can do? Yes, you're brilliant, you're strong, you're disciplined, you're resilient, but you are not enough to build the life that God has for you. And if there's no room for him, it will always be less than he intended. If you would say, God, there's going to be room in my life for you. Somebody say amen. In a second, we're going to stand on our feet and we're going to light some candles. and We're going to sing songs unto God. But I want to take about 10 seconds and I want to put this message in your face. Is that okay? Can I give you a challenge? In the next 12 months, how can you make more room in your life for God than you've currently made? Yes, a miracle's coming. Yes, God's coming. But is there room for it? Pastor, I don't even know how to make room for God. What does that look like? Okay, well, here's what it looks like. If you go 24 hours without making any space for God, stop doing that. Say, out of every single day, God, there's going to be at least 15 minutes every day that my phone is shut off. My kids are locked out. It means you're locked in the bathroom. God, this, if God wanted to say something to you on a Tuesday, is there room for him to say it? Or between the buzzing of the phones and the emails and the traffic and then dropping them, where would he say, make room? I already make more every day for Jesus. Great, make more room. Next year, if it's 15 minutes, turn into 30. If it's 30, make it 45. It's just, just somebody say, I'm going to make more room. Yeah. Here's what I'm asking for the next 12 months make a decision at Union Church. Pastor, I am all in. Not this little one foot in, one foot out. Not I'm, I'm all in. I'm going to make room for God. And what does that mean? It means come to church early Sunday. You know, statistics show that the average church attender goes once a month. That's the, that's the routine of the average person who goes to church. They go once every four weeks. If it's just to see me, that's enough. There's too much of Stephen to make you sick. But if you're not going to church to see Stephen, you're going to church to make room for God. Really, once every 30 days is enough room for God to do a miracle in your life. Make that come. If I'm healthy and I'm in town, I'm going to be at church. Pastor, you ain't talking to me. I'm ready to go to church. Great. Have you finished growth track? Like, I'm, somebody say all in. I, I was at the mall yesterday. I didn't eat anything, but I just want to watch all the other stressed out people and try to snatch whatever they were getting. I was having a good time. I was at the Lego store, and, and this guy came up to me and said, you're the pastor at Union Church. I said, yeah, do you go? He said, yeah. I'm like, what campus? He said, I'm at the Columbia location. I said, great. Have you finished Grove Track? He said, man, I knew you were going to ask me that. I said, so surely you have an answer. He said, I do. I haven't finished yet.
and I know I need a servant. And I said, then why don't you? You're making room. You know you don't serve in church because we need you. You know we don't need you, right? Like, we did all of this without you. I think we did pretty good. This was, this was good. They're not saying amen, but that's all right. We know. We, we, this, this was a mic drop Christmas. But you don't serve in church because we need your help. You serve in church because God says that as you build his house, he will build your house. I'm making room for God to do a miracle in my life. Are you in a group? Here's what I promise you. If you would stop playing it and say, I'm in 100% and give it 12 months, here's what's going to happen. It's not going to take 12 months, but I'll just say it. You're not going to recognize yourself. There's going to be a peace that you can't unexplain. There's going to be miracles in your life that aren't based on your work ethic or your network. You're going to be stuttering, saying, I don't, if it had not been for the Lord who was on my side, that relationship would have never been healed. That body would have never been healed. That job would, this is nothing but the hand of, if you will make room for God, he will insert himself in your life in a way that you never Oh, possible. Amen. Hate every location. Can you hop up on your feet? Can you grab that candle that you received on the way in the door? If you don't have a candle, that's okay. You can just lift your hands and a host is going to come running with a candle in their hand ready for you. And you need a candle right here. I'm sure at the other locations, if you don't have one, stick your hand up. They'll bring it for you. Normally, we would kind of pray the message out and everybody would do this themselves. But for some reason, I said, I just want to light candles together at all of our locations. And one of the reasons why I wanted to do this is because, you know, sometimes we do stuff in church that it just, you just do it because the church is doing it. You know what I mean? You water baptize, take communion and all that. And I'm like, I, I don't want to do anything that doesn't have any meaning for my life. And I was thinking about this moment of us lighting candles and Here's the whole reason why we do this. Well, first of all, because Jesus is the... I'm so glad y'all got that right. Last night, somebody said the bread of life. I'm like, bro, like what? Did we hand out bread at the door? No. I mean, he is, but not tonight. He ain't. Come on now. Jesus is the... He's the light of the world. Do you notice that light is useless when there's other lights that are on? You don't really notice light when it's all illuminated. Watch this. I've been practicing. Y'all ready? Every campus. Y'all ready? I've been waiting for this moment. Light is only useful when there is. Woo! Took us three services, but we got it. We got it. And all of a sudden in the darkness, I, I value light so much more. To be honest with you, I've had some dark seasons in 2022. I'm sure you have as well. If you're anything like me, you were spending time praying, God, make the darkness go away. Maybe I was looking at it wrong. Maybe it's not the darkness that needed to go away. Maybe it was an indication that I needed to make more room for the light of the world. So as we light these candles and it spreads all over the room, I, I don't know what your story is. I don't know what your experience is. But here's what I do know, that God is going to visit your home. He's going to visit your family. And if you will let him, he will take those dark spaces and he'll fill it with light. Amen. You got a light for me. Boom. All right. I'm going to light the person in front of me. They're going to light the person next to them. And what you're going to see is you're going to see a room that's full of darkness in a moment because of what one person has is going to impact an entire room. Now, I won't be ratchet, but don't, don't mess this up. All you people with lighters in your pocket, leave that lighter in your pocket, okay? Wait till the light gets to you. Can we sing while we do this? Let's go. Hey, come
Here's what I know. I know that God is going to give you a sign that he's going to make himself real to you and there is not one area of your life that is in a season of darkness that the light of the world will not bring hope. This hope will not disappoint. Before I let you go, I have one question for you. Have you made room in your life for Jesus? Not are you praying more, are you going to church more, but have you made Christ the center of your life? Maybe you're like me and you grew up in church and you know the whole church deal, but if you'd be honest, you can't say that Jesus is the number one attention in your life. Or maybe somebody invited you and this whole thing is new to you, but if you'd be honest, you'd say, Pastor, I, I do not have a relationship with God the way that you're talking about. Well, if that's you. I want to invite you to receive the greatest gift ever given on a Christmas. That's the gift of hope, the gift of salvation, the gift of a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you say, Pastor, I need that, don't worry. I'm not going to have you walk the aisle or anything like that. But you can make that decision. I want to receive that gift right now. If that's you, just pray this prayer with me. It's not praying to me. You're praying to a God that loves you more than you can love yourself. And you're saying, God, I need you in my life. Come on, pray this. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for coming to earth as a baby for one purpose, to die on a cross for my sin and my mistake. Right now, on this Christmas Eve, I give you all of me. Forgive me all my sin. Be my Lord, be my Savior, and use me for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen and amen. Come on, church, can you celebrate for every single person that just made the greatest decision.